you're tuned to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcasted live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator. And he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for almost 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, folks, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and, you know, this is very important today. I think that the 2020s, so the current climate we're in right now today, may be the most difficult environment to retire into that we've seen in the modern era. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And that's what we're going to get into on this show. Now, here's the good news. I believe you can, most people can still accomplish their goals. I think you can have a plan to mitigate some of these challenges, if not all of these challenges. But the plan Two things. The plan that gets you to retirement is not the plan that gets you through retirement, number one. Because instead of saving and accumulating money, you're now withdrawing and spending it. And number two, the plans that have worked in the past are probably not going to work in the future. The traditional mix... 60 40 stocks and bonds and typically people do 60 40 stock and bond funds mutual funds or index funds 60 40 70 30 i think that's doomed to failure especially a 60 40 mix doomed to failure over the next 10 to 15 years so we're kind of in, in uncharted waters, and what you've what people have done in the past to be successful probably is not going to work very well in the future. But again, I bring good news this morning because I believe strongly that you can have a plan to be successful. Retirement is all about mitigating risks to income, risks to you having the money that you need when you need it, and you don't have life left at the end of the money, right? You don't have earned income, so your life savings needs to be able to produce income for when you need it. It might be every month you need more income. It might mean a couple of times a year you need more income. It, you know, you might need money, take out money, take a trip, or pay for your annual insurance costs. But, or something may come up and you need income. Where do you pull it from? How do your savings function and investments? So it's the risks to that income and the risks to your money that have to be mitigated. And those risks, I think, are unparalleled today. So we're going to talk about several things. We are going to talk about the Federal Reserve's 
latest statements regarding the economy and what the economic challenges are uh, and what this low interest rate environment might mean for you. And that is one of the really critical things is the combination of inflation and the low interest rate environment and what makes this very, very different than any other times that we've experienced in history, especially when you add in the current pricing of the stock market. So we'll talk about the Fed, we'll talk about interest rates, we're going to talk about inflation, we're going to talk about other retirement setbacks you could face, and we're going to talk about market losses around the time that you retire and how devastating that can be if you don't have a plan to mitigate the impact of those potential market losses. So hopefully I'll answer some of your common retirement questions and maybe bring up some answers to questions you didn't even realize you needed to ask. Um, so, you know, it's time to prepare for these challenges. By the way, uh, you can always call us at our, at our office, Brogan Financial. It's 865-862-6800. You can also visit us online at broganfinancial.com. And then I teach all of this stuff in our classes. My next upcoming class is at the University of Tennessee on September the 16th and 23rd. Two two-hour sessions. Financial survival for retirement. And uh, that syllabus, you can get all that detail at financialsurvivalforretirement.com. Two two-hour sessions in the evenings on two Thursday nights. Now let's talk about the Federal Reserve, and we'll dive into interest rates a little bit here. The Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell recently gave a speech at the annual Jackson Hole Forum on the future of monetary policy, and everything is wondering when the Fed will raise interest rates and when the Fed will taper their asset purchases. See, the, the Fed is buying Treasury bonds every month. So think about what that's happening. The Fed is loaning money. I mean, when you buy a bond, you are loaning money to whoever issues the bond. You know, if I buy a corporate bond with Coca-Cola, I'm loaning money to Coca-Cola. They are, excuse me, I may have said that wrong. They're borrowing money from me. I'm making the loan. Now I'm going to get interest payments, right? And then they'll pay me back in the future. If I buy a treasury bond, I am loaning money to the U.S. government. And then the question is, what are they doing with that money? They're flushing it into the economy. So the Fed, in buying bonds every month, is, is printing money, and they're loaning it to the government, and the government's taking it and injecting it into the economy. So that is aggressive, that is uh, very easy money policy, easy money policy. Lots of money coming into the market, into the economy, and the idea is to help temper the economic impacts of COVID-19, right? And we did this, we did four rounds of this coming out of the Great Recession, and now we're continuing to do this. The Fed has said that they consider, that they, they may taper, meaning buy less bonds, start tapering that off later this year or into next year. So the Fed is looking at the overall economy and seeing, hey, how healthy is the economy? And the healthier it is, the idea is they can start tapering those purchases. And, or put another way, they can taper or scale back how much money they're printing and injecting into the economy. And 
obviously the market's like this. I mean, it's it's helped fuel the stock market to continued record highs, and it's kept interest rates low, which is good if you're borrowing money. Not so good if you're trying to invest money for retirement. So jobs are recovering, but the unemployment rate is still 5.4%. So this may fall more as the economy continues to reopen and higher federal unemployment benefits end. You know, we've all heard about the worker shortage. Can't get people to work. A lot of that is because people are getting uh, collecting unemployment. So when unemployment benefits in, I know here in the state of Tennessee, when Tennessee stopped the federal subsidy for unemployment and didn't accept it anymore, uh, we had a, a little bit of a surge in employment. And so that could lead to more uh, to less, excuse me, less unemployment. And Powell says that the Fed will continue to discuss when it's appropriate to taper bond purchases depending on how the economy is doing. So in other words, they'll consider slowing down this printing press if the economy continues to do well, unemployment continues to drop. Now, my concern there would be the current Delta variant of COVID-19. You know, here in Tennessee, we're not shutting down. Um, you know, I think a lot of states are opposed to that. don't want to get in the political side of that or the medical side, frankly. I want to look at how could that impact the economy. Uh, if the Delta variant, I mean, are we at a peak? Are we a couple weeks, three weeks from a peak? Could certainly impact the economy. Regardless, it seems like interest rates are unlikely to increase anytime soon. So, you know, infl and then on the flip side, inflation is high. The Fed still says it's transitory, meaning it's not going to last. The thing is, it's setting consumer prices higher. Prices go higher. And then, yeah, maybe they don't increase in, in as much from those new highs, but everything has been reset higher. So those consumer prices, we're all paying more for things at the grocery store and for other things. So the Fed seems unlikely to act to directly address higher inflation and believes the long-term inflation rate when you average the past couple of years moving forward, it will be there near their target of 2%. So what does this really mean? It means interest rates are likely to stay very low, historic lows, for probably a couple more years. At least short-term interest rates. Remember when the Fed has interest rates near zero, that means that's the overnight borrowing money rate with banks. Now, if you buy a five-year car loan, or if you, excuse me, you do a, a five-year car loan, you know, that has, the, the Fed rate has an impact on that, but the further you get out from an overnight rate with time, for example, a five-year car loan as opposed to three, you could see a bigger change. Certainly, a 15-year mortgage or a 20-year or a 30-year mortgage could be radically different than the overnight borrowing rate. But as a rule, if that overnight rate is super, super low, and the Fed is trying to keep rates in that intermediate term you know, two to five years, trying to keep them pretty low, too, with some of the things they're doing. So what this means is we're in a historically low interest rate environment. At the same point, the, the Fed is printing a lot of money. So that creates a real squeeze for today's retirees and investors.
because you need to beat inflation over time, but interest rates are historically low. And the traditional bond alternatives are frankly just not attractive at all. When I come back, we're going to talk about those challenges. And I have an article here, some quotes from Bill Gross. Bill Gross was formerly considered the bond king for about 30 years. He founded PIMCO, Pacific Investment Management Company, the largest bond investment mutual fund in the world, PIMCO, mutual fund family. I believe they're still the biggest for bond funds. And he says bonds belong in the investment garbage can. And that's really where some of these challenges lie. Interest rates are low. Inflation's creeping up. Bond market's not attractive. Yet the stock market's pretty expensive. So when we come back, we'll dive into all those issues. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We come to you every Saturday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. Uh, also, we're rerunning uh, this Monday on Labor Day at 8 o'clock in the morning and again at 3 p.m. So if you miss part of this and you want to hear all of it, you've got a lot of options. You can also go to my website, broganfinancial.com, and click on radio. I'm talking about what I believe to be the most challenging environment to retire into in the modern era. Certainly, in my view, the post-World War II era. And we're covering the reasons why. The good news is I think you can have a plan to mitigate these challenges, the the impact of these challenges. So let's just continue on with this low interest rate environment and what the implications are for that. And it deals primarily with the bond market. You know, it's very important to understand that traditional bonds and interest rates move in an opposite direction. So when interest rates go down like they did for 30 years, starting in 1981, think of coming out of the late 70s with the oil crisis and hyperinflation. You could get a CD at 17%. And they came down dramatically, really the most historic bull market in bonds we've seen uh, again since 1900, for that matter. So bonds came, excuse me, interest rates came down, bond values went up because they move in an opposite direction. Well, now interest rates are at historic lows. So there's only one of two things can happen. Either interest rates stay really low. I mean, they can go a little bit lower, but not much. So they either stay really low, in which case traditional bonds aren't paying anything, or rates go up and bonds do even worse. I would actually say over the long term, you know, if you... If you took $100,000 and you put $50,000 in the U.S. stock market, let's just say you put it in S&P 500, and you put the other 50000 in the aggregate bond index or a bond mutual fund, an intermediate term, you know, bonds that mature in about five years. That's about what the indexes do. 
I would say your risk of not beating inflation over the next 10 years, if you don't need that money for 10 years, and all you care about is what is it worth in 10 years, and will you be have just as much purchasing power in 10 years as you do today, I would say your risk is greater with the bond fund than it is with the stock fund. Okay? And the traditional attractiveness of traditional bonds is they help hedge stocks. They're not as volatile. And when the stock market is volatile, typically when the stock market is going down, people are rushing to the safety of bonds. And so it helps prop the portfolio up. You know, the whole idea with diversification, you don't want to just have nothing but stocks if you need to start accessing your money within the next 10 years. It's okay probably if you're in your 30s and your 401k and you're not going to touch it for 30 years. But as you get closer to retirement and into, and into retirement, most people should probably not have all their money in just U.S. stocks or U.S. and international stocks. Because the idea behind diversification is you have a whole bunch of stuff in your portfolio that doesn't just move up and down together. So if, in other words, if something zigs, something else zags. That way, if one thing like stocks or stock mutual funds or stock ETFs, index funds, are way down, hopefully they're not all way down. So you have a balance of things. Things balance each other out. Or maybe put another way, you've got a little bit of hedging in there. I mean, bonds hedge the stock market in the short term in a sharply decreasing stock market. Now, bonds also have been historically used for income. Not very effective for today with interest rates where they are. But most people don't use them that way. Most people, when they buy bond funds, they're doing it for investment diversification. Well, that type of 60-40 mix, frankly, is just not going to work well at all in the future. Number one, a 60-40 stock bond mix is actually much higher correlated to the overall U.S. market than you may realize. In other words, you're still kind of betting on the stock market. You're not going to go up and down quite as much of the stock market, but you're going up and down with the market. And in order to try to reduce volatility and, and reduce the amount of losses in the, in the bear markets, which inevitably happen, you're adding an asset class in traditional bonds that's doomed to failure in the next 10 to 12 years. So what helps us in the very short term in market declines is going to end up, in my view, hurting us in the long term. So what that means is you need, a, in order to hedge risk, you need a greater amount of diversification. You need more things that when one thing zigs, another zags. Well, what are those kind of things? Well, commodities, natural resources, and energy. And by the way, commodities and natural resources and energy are all good hedges for, the for a decline in the U.S. dollar because those things are priced in dollars, energy and resources and, and commodities. And so when the dollar declines relative to other currencies, you know, those things do pretty well. So again, you've are you're, you're got more things that zig and zag. Also, non-traditional bonds. Now, what's a non-traditional bond? That's a category that I use, and the way I define that, non-traditional bonds have the ability to go up in value when interest rates increase. Now, how do they do that? Non-traditional bonds typically have adjustable interest rates 
rather than fixed interest rates. So I'd kind of compare it to an adjustable rate mortgage as opposed to a fixed mortgage. You know, if I'm the bank and I'm loaning you an adjustable rate mortgage at 3% and rates go to 5 I'm now making 5% off of you on your mortgage. So now my, that mortgage is more valuable to me. But if I've done a fixed rate mortgage to you at 3% and rates go to 5 I'm kind of stuck because you're only paying 3 when I can lend to someone else and, and get 5 So I'm stuck. So non-traditional bonds can go up in value. So the way we approach a diversification becomes critically important. And what has worked in the past 40 or 50 years, frankly, is not going to work. And, you know, there are some, there, there's some software and some computer programs out there. And the most well-known, and, and many of you may have heard of this, it's called Monte Carlo software. And Monte Carlo won, won uh, all kinds of awards, and it projects... It's a system that uses past returns, and it can look at a series of hundreds or thousands of potential returns based on the date of investment or date of retirement, based on mixes of investments, and then you project that into the future. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that's not useful because there are still some useful things about that. But the problem is, if you go back to the 70s, which is Monte Carlo usually goes back, those projections... They backtest, they use history back to the mid-70s, maybe the early 70s. And most of these software programs. And the problem with that is the bond market in that 45, 50-year period is nothing like what we're going to see in the future. It is mathematically impossible for bonds to make in the next 10 or 12 years what they made throughout the 80s and 90s in the first decade of the 2000s. It's mathematically impossible because bonds can't drop enough in value. But bonds offer that extra stability in a portfolio. So instead, you need a greater amount of diversification. You need more things that zig and zag. So the idea is you've got, instead of a lot of only two or three different things like U.S. stocks and foreign stocks and, and traditional bonds, now you've got maybe nine or ten things. And the idea is, you know, no matter what happens economically, you've got three or four things that are doing pretty well. And they'll help hold the value of the portfolio up. Now, the, the flip side of that is when the market booms, you're going to have a few things that are not doing as well. So when you add more diversification and balance to the stock market, you, you reduce volatility. That means less downturn in the bust, hopefully. But it also means less gain in the boom. So that has to be measured and, and you have to take calculated risk. And the good news is we can measure that. we got great tools to be able to measure risk in a portfolio. And, and actually measuring past risk is a pretty good predictor of future risk. Like we don't know in the future when the market's going to go up and when the market's going to go down. But we know the market's going to do both of those things. And we can have a pretty good idea, okay, when the market booms, how are you likely to do? If you have greater diversification, you're probably going to lag the market a little bit. But how much? And then when the market busts and we have a bear market, how much are you likely to lose as compared to the market? So we can measure that very, very effectively. And 
that's critically important. But the, the big message here is that the, the traditional diversification that's been used in the past is just not going to work. And again, I mentioned Bill Gross before that last break. Bill Gross was considered the bond king for 30 or 40 years, starting in the early 70s. He started what is now, to my knowledge, the largest bond mutual fund company in the world, certainly in the U.S., PIMCO. Many of you all have heard PIMCO. It stands for Pacific Investment Management Company. Now, he left PIMCO a little while ago. But he said that treasury yields are so low that funds that buy them belong in the investment, quote, the investment garbage can, end quote. He said cash has been trash for a long time, but there are now new contenders, said Gross. Intermediate to long-term bond funds are in that trash receptacle for sure. Now then he warns, that if stocks don't meet double-digit earnings forecasts, stocks could also be in the trash bin. But then what are we to do? So when it comes, the, the biggest thing in this segment is when it comes to this low interest rate environment, the bond market is very, very dangerous. Now the flip side is many of you are concerned about inflation, and with good reason. Because even if inflation stays lower moving forward, all of our consumer prices have been reset. They, they've increased. They've kind of get reset. I don't think when we go to the grocery store, our cereal and our potato chips and our fresh meat and vegetables, I don't think they're going to go down. They may not go up as much, but they've reset to a, to a higher level. So you need growth of your investments, and market investment, at-risk investments, is ultimately, in my view, the best way to beat inflation over time. But we have a challenging world. So how can you create a plan to be confident you'll beat inflation over time and have stability of income in the short term and growth of income in the long term? So stay with us uh, as you visit with, uh, with me here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. This is More Living with Jim Brogan. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. You can catch us at 9 and at 3 p.m. every Saturday. Uh, also on Labor Day, you can catch us at th th just this coming Monday. You can catch us at 8 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. if you've missed part of this. We're talking about what I believe is the greatest challenge, the, the, the most challenging economic environment to retire into in the modern era. And how, the good news is, how you can have a plan to mitigate those the impact of those challenges. We've talked about the low interest rate environment. We've talked some about inflation. I do want to mention in that last segment, I talked on diversification. I talked about measuring risk and having a different kind of diversification. That is what we do at Brogan Financial. If you'd like to measure risk and get a second opinion on what you're doing, Feel free to reach out to us. You can go to my website, broganfinancial.com. You can fill out the form there that'll pop up or that's over there on, on, on the webpage. Or you can give us a call at 865-862-6800. 
I'm covering all these topics and much more at my next class through the uh, adult education programs at the University of Tennessee. It's on September the 16th and 23rd. Those are two successive Thursday evenings. Uh, you can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. That's the name of the class, financialsurvivalforretirement.com. And you can download a syllabus. You can click to register. And in that class, I talk about how to uh, effectively retire in this challenging environment we have. Now, let's talk a little bit more about inflation. We talked about the low interest rates and this squeeze you could feel with, okay, bonds and seat bank alternative things are not paying anything. Yet inflation is rearing its ugly head. You know, even if we see, never see inflation rates of the 1970s again, moderate inflation can still have a big effect on a retiree's savings. And as I said, while inflation may slow down, if consumer prices have set a new baseline, you know, if something at the grocery store is $3 and it goes to $3.20, which is a 6.7% increase, then, you know, it may not increase from that new point as fast, but it's reset a higher price. And when everything does that, that becomes problematic. You know, 2% inflation rate in retirement can really eat away at your savings, but let's look at something just a little higher. Now, historically, inflation over the long haul has averaged about 3% in like 100 years, roughly, maybe just a little over. However, we have to take that with a grain of salt because the 70s, that six or five or six, seven-year period in the late 70s and early 80s where we had hyperinflation, I mean, that was an anomaly in our history. That is ne had never happened before, not since 1900 anyway, and has never happened since. And while I can't rule out that happening again, it is unlikely. It was complete anomaly. If I take out that, sh that window of time where we had that hyperinflation, the average inflation rate's been around 2.5%. Now, until this last year or so, it was, it was, under, it, it was between 1.5% and 2% for 12 years, or, or 11 years, 10 or 11 years. But historically, it's usually been 25 has been the average. What if it averages 3 you know, as everything sets higher, what if inflation's at 3%? Let me just put this in perspective. Let's use easy numbers. If you retire today and need an income of $100,000, what would that same $100,000 be worth 20 years from now? 20 years from now, that $100,000 of income, if in 20 years you're still drawing exactly $100,000 in today's dollars, it's only worth a little over 55000 In other words, you've lost almost half of your purchasing power. Now, it's not likely your income would increase at all, but if, you know, what if instead of going from 100 to 170 or 180, what if you're stuck at 120? You know, what if in the next 20 years you increase your income by 40 or 50% instead of 80%? Well, now you've got a problem. And as an example of that, if we look at Social Security over the last 20 years, you know, we have those cost of living increases every year with Social Security. Now, three of the last 12 years, there's been no increase. 
because consumer prices were way down. That was like in the Great Recession and kind of coming out of all that. Now, the consumer, the, the Social Security next year is probably going to go up around 5%. It'll be the largest increase we've had in a while. But the Senior Citizens League estimates that the average Social Security benefit since 2000, so if you drew Social Security in 2000 and you've seen increases in your benefit for cost of living over the last 21 years, you've still lost a third of your purchasing power. So you've lost a third of your income from Social Security over that 21 years. That's a powerful opponent. So what that means is interest rates are low, inflation is rearing its ugly head, and you need your income to increase enough over time to beat inflation or to have your lifestyle continue to keep up with inflation is probably a good way to say that. And I, I do think in the long term, a, a diversified market portfolio, not the 60-40 stock and bond portfolio I talked about earlier, the more diversified portfolio I talked about earlier, is still the best way to beat inflation in the long term. The problem is you can lose a lot of money in the short term. So when we come back, I'm going to kind of dive in the risks of market volatility, especially in the early years of retirement. You know, if, you've, if, if the market investments are the best way to beat inflation long term, what about short term income? You know, there's an old saying, you don't want to draw a fixed income from a variable investment. You don't want to be living off investments that are going sharply up and down every month and week and year because inevitably they're going to be sharply down and you don't want to sell investments and spend that as income while they're down because you'll compound your losses. It'll never ever come back. You know, it's okay to sell something when it's down and reinvest it, but you don't ever want to sell it and spend it. So how do you get growth long term to beat inflation? yet have stability of income in the short term, and what is the risk of retiring into a bear market? It's a dramatic risk. So stay with us. I'll cover that in the last segment. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. Thank you for tuning in today. We're on every Saturday at 9 a.m., again at 3 p.m. We're also on, on, we have a Labor Day special. We're on, if you missed part of today's show, we're on at 8 a.m. on Labor Day and again at 3 p.m. We're talking about the challenges facing today's retirees. I do think it's the most challenging environment to retire into for a retiree in our modern era. The good news is, I think you can have a, a strategy to combat these challenges and largely and, and be successful. Uh, but what's worked in the past is not going to work in the future. The diversification and investment balance is not going to work, I don't think. Uh, the bond market is very unattractive. But then what about the stock market? And what about volatility in the market? Volatility in the stock market is a way of life. It's just going to happen. Yet, I just said that because of inflation, a diversified market portfolio is probably the best way to beat inflation in the future. But how do you draw retirement income in a volatile stock market? And the risk 
of retiring into the teeth of a bear market. See, what most people do in retirement, and frankly, what most advisors do, is they do what's called a total return approach to income. In other words, total return. Most investors, they look at the entire, the, the total return on their entire portfolio, everything, and they draw off of that. They draw off of all the investments. The problem with that is what happens when the market is sharply down? Well, then you've got to sell off investments and spend them when they're down, and you'll compound those losses. And that is a huge risk in retirement. You know, if you live for 30 years in retirement, believe it or not, your outcome over those 30 years, 50 over 50% of it's determined in the first five years. And over 80% of your 38-year outcome is determined in the first 10 years. In other words, realizing big investment losses in the early years of retirement can absolutely be devastating to your wealth. Yet, we're in this low interest rate environment, and you need to beat inflation. So how do you handle all this? I think one is how you structure income. You've just got to structure income in the short term to come from things instead of using a total return approach where you draw income across your investments on the total return. Segment your investments. You know, look at them as two different buckets of money. You've got a safe money bucket and you've got a risk money bucket. The safe money bucket, let's define that. It has ideally has guaranteed principal in the future. If that's the case, we've got to look at who's backing the guarantee. If it's not guaranteed, it should be very, very stable. So that money's not in the stock market. It's not going up and down volatilely. However, most people think of their bond mutual funds as being in that bucket. And intermediate and long-term bond funds do not go in that bucket. Those have risk. When interest rates go up, they lose money. You know, a good intermediate-term bond fund, which is kind of a standard index bond fund, uh, which is what most of them are out there, if interest rates, if the 10-year Treasury goes up 1%, you will lose about 5 to 5.5% 5 .5 on your bond fund. If interest rates go up 2%, you'll lose 10 11% on your bond fund. And long-term bond funds will lose even more. Remember, when interest rates go up, bond funds go down, bond values go down. So the bond funds do not go in that risk, or excuse me, in the safe bucket. So if you segment and do things that, that are either very stable or protected, you live on that. You're not living on things that go up and down in the market. And then you're going to just draw from it. Now, yeah, you're going to kind of draw it down. And, yeah, that money's not going to make a lot. That, that income you need in the next four or five years is the biggest part of your plan that's going to have a hard time beating inflation. I think we, we've been successfully beating inflation. And I think with that bucket, and I think you can do it, but it's, it's harder. Ultimately, the best way to fight inflation is that risk bucket. The problem is you have no certainty in the short term. So in today's world, you need a minimum of five years of income that you can pull from your safe money bucket. And then I, I, my preference is really to be able to go out six or seven years without touching the risk investments that are diversified in the market. Now, then that risk bucket, you can't be too aggressive if you're just in the stock market. And we go through a, a bad bear market in three years, or we went through two markets in the next seven years, you could really be hurting. So you need 
hedges in your risk bucket, like I talked about earlier, where you've got greater diversification, but not the traditional hedge of traditional bonds, because it's just not going to work in the future. So that plan that gets you to retirement, where you're looking at total return of investments, that's not going to get you through retirement, because you've got to have stability of income in the short term, so that if there's a deep bear market when you first retire, you're not impacted, because those investments, you're not touching them, you're sitting through that bear market and letting them recover. And then to grow your, your risk investments, you need greater diversification. And be careful you're not taking too much risk, and you're measuring that risk. Now, it's interesting to me that 10 years after the 2008 financial crisis, so let's go back and look at the Great Recession. 10 years later, 65% of middle-income baby boomers, so two-thirds of middle-income baby boomers, did not believe they had seen any personal benefit from the economic recovery. That's really a remarkable statistic. You know, now that's saying what confidence baby boomers have doesn't mean they haven't received an economic benefit, but they, you know, you don't feel like you've received an economic benefit. You don't feel like it. And I think a lot of that is not having the right plan in place to protect income in the short term and grow income in the long term. And interestingly enough, while I was talking about the Federal Reserve earlier, but consumer confidence is down. And that's interesting to me um, that in the last year, and particularly here recently, consumer confidence is down. And I had a statistic in front of me here, and I'm looking for that statistics. Um, it was, I think I kind of misplaced it here. Uh, but at any rate, consumer confidence is down. So what that means is consumers are, are not as confident after the last 12 months in today's world right now. Ultimately, you can have confidence in your ability to retire, usually. I mean, if you don't have any money and you need a lot of income, you can't probably retire. But most people I meet with and that come to my classes at UT and Pellissippi, can, can retire successfully, or if you're already retired, you can protect that, that security. And I think you can have that plan, but you've, the, the plan that worked in the past just isn't going to work well. Number one, the plan in retirement should be different than the plan prior to retirement. Number two, what's worked the last 50, 60, even 70 years is just not going to work in the future because we've got an, uh, interest rates at historic lows and we've got stocks at historic highs. So you just got to have greater diversification. You've got to have security of income, all those things. If you'd like to attend, I want to invite you. I'm about out of time here, but if I want to invite, I want to invite you to my next class at the University of Tennessee, Financial Survival for Retirement. You can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com to find out more information. It's on the 16th and 23rd of September, coming up here in just about a week and a half, two successive Thursday evenings from 6th. 30 to 8.30 p.m. I also have a tax planning class, Tax Planning in the New Age, at Pellissippi State in November. It's a one-night class. To find out my entire schedule, go to broganfinancial.com and click on classes. Thank you for tuning in this week. Thank you for uh, Chris engineering the board. Thank you, Jill, helping produce the show. I hope you have a blessed Labor Day weekend. It's beautiful. Get outside, be active, enjoy people you love. 
Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.